I'm Annie AK. And I'm Melissa. And today we want to welcome you to Still Great Bob. If this is your first time joining us together, we are watching AMC's Mad Men trying to answer the question, is it still great, Bob? This week, we're discussing season two, episode 12, The Mountain King, written by Matthew Weiner and Robin Veith and directed by Alan Taylor. This episode originally aired on AMC October 19, 2008. Hit movies that weakened at the box office included at number one, the video game adaptation called Max Payne. Last week's number one, Beverly Hills Chihuahua, fell the second spot and opening at number three, The Secret Life of Bees. The hit digital single that week was a T.I. song, but not the one that it's been the last couple weeks. It was T.I. featuring Rihanna, Live Your Life. Hey. <laughs> um, okay. In this episode of Mad Men, Don meets an old friend, unsure of what's in the cards for his future. Peggy reflects on rituals associated with love, and Betty and Sally have a talk. Joining us this week, we have a very special guest. Well, I think special to both the show and, and, and special to me. We have Francis. So, Francis, welcome to the show. Hi. Yay. Yay. So, is episode 12 the new guest spot? Oh. It seems to be that is that way. the that's thing? When, that's when we had Elise on last year. Yeah. yeah, it's the episode 9 of Game of Thrones. Oh my god, it is. Well, and it's funny because it's an Alan Taylor directed episode who directed episode nine of season one, Baylor, which is also very good. Anyways. So Francis, welcome to the show. As as you'll know as a as a frequent listener and iTunes or Apple Podcast reviewer, wink <laughs> wink, nudge nudge to all of our listeners right now. Um we like to when we have guests on the show, we like to ask them their Mad Men origin story. So what's your Mad Men origin story, Francis? Sure. So um, I had heard of Mad Men um, probably late to the game because I'm not very up to date with pop culture. But um, Matt, as you'll know, you are the one who introduced me to Mad Men. And I think we started watching. We started we well, we were borrowing the seasons from your parents. And we started watching when I think like season three was airing. I don't know. But um. Uh, Matt is my introduction to Mad Men, and <laughs> one of my memories of Mad Men is that we would watch the DVDs in my my dad built my dad built this garage, and upstairs we had like a bonus room with a like he was like upstairs had a bonus room with a pool table and a like giant TV, and it was just like a dude cave. But so we'd watch Mad Men up there to be away because I was still living at home. And so the sound of the the title, like the the home screen when it shows the menu screen, uh, definitely reminds me of a certain time in our dating life doing certain activities. Oh, and if you could see my face now, listeners, you would know how how red it actually is. And yes, if you're reading between the lines, Francis is my partner. Yes, let's let's preface <laughs> <Yay>. that. <laughs> Probably so. should have included that earlier. I will say I did really enjoy when we started watching Mad Men. I really enjoyed it for the re of the show itself, and um, then it started popping up. I started recognizing it popping up in some of even the university classes I took. We used it as a talking point in one of my Marxist classes, which was fun. Um, so yeah, I I think it's still one of my favorite TV shows. So everyone has still seen Mad Men. <laughs> Except for, <laughs> except for you but so like how have you been enjoying like rewatching it now in these today times 
it's been really interesting because I have a terrible memory and I'm like, wait, is this that that character? And that, Matt's like, no, that character comes in in like season season seven, and I'm like, oh, whoops. <laughs> so it's been it's been my so my memory of it is not great, but um, it's been really interesting to rewatch it in this time and just kind of see some of the themes that are still relevant, unfortunately, uh, to today. Uh. No, I totally relate to that because um, we've had some friends who've been watching along with us. Some people have been uh, cut, you know, um, moving on ahead. One friend in particular, hi, Liz, who texts me and says, I can't believe this thing happened or someone said this. I'm like, sure, that totally happened. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) I look forward to getting to that and living it again. (laughs) In checks notes for seasons. Uh, but welcome to the show. We Thank are you. Happy I'm to have you. I am excited. This is a great episode to uh, join in on. So much stuff. Yeah, it was it was so really dense. Like it's a dense show at times, but I found this episode particularly dense. And I guess before we get into the um, discussion proper, just wanted to give listeners a bit of a, a content warning and a, a trigger warning. We're going to start our discussion with Joan and her storyline of the of the show, which includes anticipating a discussion of intimate partner, partner, intimate partner violence and sexual assault. So we'll put a timestamp in the notes from when that discussion starts and then when it ends. So if folks want to hop on later in the episode, as we kind of discuss, you know, Betty and Don and, and Peggy and kind of their storylines as well, that option's open to them. Uh, I really, I really, I really want to just brag about how I was more right than I was wrong about who Don was going to visit, except for I guess I have to wait now <laughs> because we're going to do Joan first. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. So I guess we'll just start with some some general kind of, you know, themes or opinions on on the episode. And I guess, Francis, we'll, we'll start with you as the guest um, kind of. Were you positive on the episode, cool on the episode, negative? Where, where are you at in, with Mad Men in this rewatch? I thought this was a great episode. Um, that's why I picked it to be on. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it really, for what we've seen in season one and season two, I think it really encapsulate, encapsulates a lot of where the characters are at and kind of um, puts them in a place to progress or not progress forward to with whatever their story will be. Melissa, Annie, what about you, you folks? No, I I really like this episode too. Um, I was thrilled. I mean, I like this episode. I hate some of it, but mm-hmm. you know, we're gonna try to keep that in one place. Anywho, um, we open immediately with Betty, which I was thrilled about because I was really missing her. Um, I guess I could say that I'm maybe a little disappointed about how much we do get of Betty. I wish that there was I wish that there was a little bit more time spent focused on her um, because I think that this is an important episode for her and because we haven't seen her, although I I know what I would trade, but you know, <laughs> um, Peggy smoking a cigarette, something I've been waiting for. <laughs> which is big time exciting. Um, Every boy being the worst. That's it. Yes. I guess, like, Don isn't the worst worst in this episode, but, I mean, we'll have time for all of these. Uh, I'm going to hard agree. <laughs> no, and the 
thing that was particularly frustrating is a lot of the men were being the worst for very similar things and in very similar ways and a lot of it was just made me want to smack all of them uh i was very i'm very surprised to say that uh, partly because i've been completely underappreciating matthew weiner and still kind of do but um i thought this was actually a really fairly balanced episode as far as male and female stories mm-hmm. as well as not mm-hmm. being like in the past we've seen a couple of them when he tries to approach especially the female stories they lack a lot of the nuance and complexity that mm-hmm. uh he tends to approach the male stories with so that was uh a pleasant surprise i do have some i like i like that okay so the joan stuff is very awful mm-hmm. but it's balanced with what is mostly from the other men silliness mm-hmm. like they're all all of them being like peggy how are you getting this office like it's because <laughs> she works hard and like keeps her head down and does her job obviously so them being trash like in that way for not recognizing that is you know mostly benign in the episode and is like kind of funny and then you know don is just continuing to be frustrating um so I guess it's kind of smart that we're going to have, like, the worst thing that's ever happened to anyone on the show in this episode balanced mm-hmm. with, like, some of the silliness. But there's some stuff that is actually making me really mad about Matthew Weiner's writing, and I guess I can save that, or I can tell you we can just go into the Jones stuff now, whatever you yeah, want to do. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. yeah. So <clears throat> we get this scene. Okay, I'm well-documented being very frustrated the ways in which, like, Don treats betty's sexuality and we're seeing greg do this to joan here mm-hmm. and i kind of i can't help but wonder if they think that they're being like subversive by having the men turning down the women when it's so often in shows we're seeing the women turn on the men so often that that's like the main plot of sitcoms like everybody loves raymond <laughs> um which is a show i love but it has problems um and it's like that is I, for him to be doing that over and over, like is getting even more and more and more frustrating to me. Even though it says different things about Don and Greg's character, which like that's great, but there's other ways to show characters without them minimalizing women who they are in a relationship with. These are the women that you're supposed to be giving your life to support, and this is what you're doing to them over and over again. And I just like. Matt, get better tricks. Not our Matt. Matthew Weiner. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so that was making me mad, which feels predictable because this is the type of shit that I hate. (laughs) I totally see it. I was um, just thinking about about... uh... I was just thinking about that scene where Greg was turning Joan down and, you know, in the past we've seen Joan be, you know, this incredibly sexual character. She's the lust object of so many in the office and throughout the entire show. And it's supposed to be, I think you're right. I think it is supposed to be (laughs) subversive and, ooh, different than what you expect. But, and I realized that I may just be projecting onto it, but to me, it wasn't just like Greg turning down a woman or like her being the wanton hussy, that kind of thing. It's actually just Greg not wanting a woman to be on top, literally, mm-hmm. let alone figuratively. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm like, am I projecting that? Is this what uh, Weiner intended? Or is this what's really in the thing? Well, and... later in the episode, he wants to have sex with her in her boss's office, which like fantasy destination number three or whatever. <laughs> I get that. That's not not sexy, but she's saying no. So obviously mm-hmm. it's a big problem. But it's like you want the type of woman who's going to fuck you on the floor of her boss's office, but she can't give you a hand job in her own bed. Fuck off forever. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also the context of that moment, it happens after he gets incredibly visibly insecure about Mm -hmm. Roger knowing something, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, intimate about her. Mm -hmm. And earlier that night in bed, she had said, you know, there is no past. So like he hates the fact that she may have been with other men who may know her and that he's sorry he, quote, quote, can't give her what she wants or doesn't know what she wants. It has nothing to do with. With sex. Do you know how you figure out what people want? You ask them. Just general (laughs) PSA for anybody who's feeling confused. And I think... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, build on your point about asking how you said it's not about sex. I think, as it so often is, it's rarely about the actual intercourse and sex. It's about the power that is held in Mm. between individuals Mm. and someone who has it, in this case, and someone who doesn't. And that is unhealthy as opposed to examples we have not seen on Mad Men mm. where both people are consensual and have equal power in in what they're doing. Yes. Absolutely. Well, and like I think too, in the ways that like it's not it's not subversive in the context of the show is because as as we're kind of pointing out here and talking about um greg's assault of joan in don's office is is is, it is about power and it's it's a response to his own perceived insecurity and his like as it relates to his own perception of his own like masculinity and stuff too right like it's it reminded me of like you know we talked about it earlier in in season two when don's feeling on his heels with bobby early on in their relationship and then you know, they go out to dinner during the Yats apology and basically Don, not basically Don assaults Bobby, you know, in, in, and again, it's about him kind of reclaiming his power. So it's Greg, you know, yeah, it's, it's everything we're talking about. And it just reminded me of the Don thing, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Which is now putting me on my heels <laughs> about, yeah. about my own thought processes about how easy it was for me to write off the two encounters between Don and Bobby where I consent is questionable mm-hmm. because Bobby did that to him. Yeah. Yeah. And more like, I think, and as I recall, if I can reach back into like, you know, the annals of, 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 time and specifically the the uh, pre pre time where time is, is is funny in my fuzzy in my memory um you're exactly right melissa the the consent is calm it feels more complex and has more layers and this doesn't i don't say this to excuse don's actions earlier because i'm not but like there's or there's bobby's com- actions it, right, right exactly there's there's more complexity there but like Joan says no like three or four times. But yeah, the consent is not a question. But I think we need to point out I 
all of our listeners, I'm sure, are beautiful and smart. But if you don't realize that, like, the very fact of being in a relationship is not consent to sex. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, they are engaged to be married, but that doesn't automatically mean that, you know, exactly what yeah. I already said. <laughs> it doesn't mean that at any given time, Greg just gets to have sex with Joan because he decided that's what he wanted at that time. Just like, you know, when Greg said he wasn't interested and it's not like Joan proceeded. And the one of the other things I didn't like about this whole, this this scene and everything else was like, the way Greg, despite, you know, you know, Joan saying no several times before she says it the, the third or fourth time, he's like, oh, come on, this is the type of guy you want and make and makes assumptions based on how she acted earlier before when she respected, you know, his his power agency to to consent and say no. And he's like, oh, well, where did you learn that? And blah, 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 blah. And he basically is slut shaming her for her previous experience. Mm-hmm. And then he's trying to twist it and use it against her to coerce her into sex that he feels obligated to because they are engaged in the relationship and Mm -hmm. and that's it's just it's it's really upsetting it's just really upsetting he only wants it in his terms and then is like surprise when she's not happy about it um in reference to the whole bobby thing i Really bad. Again, memory's terrible. But I don't necessarily think we were, like, super celebrating how Bobby was the one oh, who we took weren't. control when it came we to Dawn. But I forgot about it, like, almost <laughs> immediately. <laughs> <laughs> we have really good memories. We're not getting old. But, like, I think a lot of it was seeing Dawn and his own reaction to the way that he has treated other women and mm-hmm. how um, just kind of flipping, flipping it around and seeing it from that other perspective. Because, like, you know... A lot of things that we see, like when it's a man enacting it on the woman, we're kind of we there is that double standard of how we just sort of like mm, it's not great, but but when we turn it around and it's you know coming from one direction to you know the other direction to another, it does add this other light to it where you have to sort of face the f- really uncomfortable fact that like oh this actually isn't okay with Greg and Joan. It's just like the far more explicit. Um, like very li- not necessarily a nuanced way of approaching it. I got a question for you guys though. Do you think with what we've seen already in previous moments with Greg and how he's been not super awesome to Joan? Anyways, do you think we really need this scene at all? Or could we have just had a nice cumulative effect of wow, Greg sucks. Did we have to like drive the point home with this moment with a rape on screen? So when I was thinking about this, I was definitely thinking about the fact that this show aired in 2008 and I was not watching a lot of drama television at that point. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what it would have been like, but I wonder if it's one of those instances where it was like, oh, this show is so edgy for showing, like, what it really would have been like back then and just completely ignoring the fact that this shit still happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, or if it, I guess, additionally, uh, like, in period pieces, we get this all the time, where it's like, oh, well, it would have been out of place if there wasn't rape during the 1960s. 
after eight seasons of Game of Thrones, we have heard this <laughs> argument before. And so to yeah. that, I just want to say maybe in 2008, the conversation would have been different. But what I want to say now is like, I do not ever need to see a rape on TV. Like, this is a lived experience. I don't need to watch it. If a guy is shitty in bed the way he was to Joan, and then he says a bunch of shitty comments, and then if he would have acted like like a fucking spook whenever they walked into Don's office, if it would have faded to black, we would have known what happened. And if you yeah, really want that thinking. to happen to a character in your story, that's fine, but I don't need to see it. Mm-hmm. Like... Why would you think anybody needs to see it? Like, I just, ugh. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I think the the whole, the, the, the conversation around the bar and, like, fine, just one drink, uh, it could have kind of ended somewhere after there and audience mem- audiences back in 2008 <laughs> and now would have been able to put the pieces <laughs> together. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't think any of it was particular like it's again not great and it's it's still startling to see that on screen no matter when it came on but his actual actions I don't think were terribly surprising no not at well and the thing is is like we would have had almost this exact same conversation about their power imbalance in their relationship or his perceived you know power imbalance to her or whatever the conversation would have almost looked exactly identical the fact that he forced her to make him a drink in Don's office yeah I think the most um for me the most disturbing thing in that scene is the the shot of her looking off to the corner of the couch uh-huh. mm-hmm. because some as Matt likes to say great eye acting by Christina Uh Hendricks where she just like you can see in her eyes that she like she doesn't even look mad she's just like okay this is what it is like this is what I'm marrying Mm -hmm. checking out she was so good she's always like yeah and I guess we don't know yet like what the implications are of this scene to like Joan's character or I guess I personally don't but it's like, is it going to become important that we know that she, like, disassociates during situations in her relationship? Like, I don't know. I don't know if that's, you know, will it ever, will that character point ever be important enough for, like, I don't want Christina Hendricks to have had to have been in this scene. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to watch this scene. I don't want our listeners to have to listen to us talk about it. <laughs> well, then, this might be a good point to, if I may. You <laughs> may. Please. You totally may. I just, one thing, so, still related to the scene, but past it. Um, when Peggy is unpacking in her new office and talking to Joan, and she's totally innocently asking Joan about her wedding, mm-hmm. um, you can see how, like, because as the audience, we can see how like this is making Joan so uncomfortable. Um, because she because of what had happened, um, and how it just again kind of I feel really bad for Joan because the writers are stepping on her. Where Peggy's moving into the office, she's moving up in the world. Joan's quote unquote just a secretary. I don't mean that, but she's outside of a female who hasn't she's physically outside of the office of a female who has moved 
up in the corporate ladder. And she's um, actually sitting and Peggy's yeah. standing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, so she's just like, in this episode, any power that Joan had has been trampled on both in her like romantic relationship and in her relationship with people at work. Yeah, I kind of, I think, took for granted that Joan would not have had to go back to Don's desk when he fired Jane. But there she is. Yeah. And the other thing, too, that I found interesting in the, in the scene that you just described, Francis, is even in the, the layers of christina hendrick's performances as joan in that scene is even though we we know as the audience that there's a layer of of guardedness in how she talks to peggy she's less guarded with peggy than when the junior execs come over mm. and they start in, in, imposing the, themselves when kinsey comes back and mm. you know from from being the, on the the freedom rides and things like that with sheila in in mississippi Joan's different with Peggy in that scene than she is with the other three yeah. who like, she's honest with him about like, about Donna. I don't know. You know, you were a secretary, you know, you know what it's like. And then it's like, Oh yeah. Don wants you guys to go back to work. Like, God, like fuck off line. sort of thing. Right. Like, so, yeah. He told me to tell just, you to go back to work. Yeah. The, the layers there are, there's, they're there. It's like an onion. I did think she was genuinely happy for Peggy though. Yeah. I do because well, like we've seen like Christina Hendricks is a pretty good actor so uh, if she wasn't I think we would have seen that mm-hmm. yeah. and it was so it was so sincere she didn't make any extra comments even um, I don't know yeah and then she just immediately turns to like no really things are fine since you're going to talk about how amazing my fiance is yeah he's this sur- kind of surgeon it's very complicated ugh well, because they're talking about their, they're talking about their successes uh-huh. with Peggy standing outside her new office, and Joan's success outwardly right now is this like handsome doctor husband. So that's mm-hmm. like what she has to offer to this conversation about, you know, the two of them, yeah, moving up in the world, yeah. The doctor you hope you see but never get. <laughs> Mm-hmm. As if her own value comes from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think, Matt, you can probably back me up on this, too. But there's so many male surgeons in the world who, and I found myself doing it as someone who works with a lot of surgeons, where you just are incredibly open about the fact that you have to, like, cuddle their egos. And <laughs> there's even one, there, there's a handful of them, actually. But, like, I was just talking about one not that long ago with some coworkers, but like, yeah, no, I really like that guy. You just have to like joke along with him and just like, but no jokes that may at any point make him feel insecure because then your entire day is ruined. And that is Greg. It, yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, there's a lot of, I think entitlement that comes with whether it's, you know, patriarchy or, racial privilege or even like occupational privilege which is heaps on with those those other two you know with what type of jobs and and positions that we value in our society and and kind of how you have to um 
not how you have to, how folks in those roles expect to be treated because of that. And it's, yeah, no, that's, Uh that's and i think that's what the show is kind of commenting on with with greg and having all of the you know being good on paper but not in reality and i just like we've all been talking about i think this show probably could have come at that from a different way and not i don't know it's yeah there's a lot of men being shitty to their female partners is what we're saying yeah no, for sure. But did we want to, speaking of Peggy and her new office, did we want to, to move to, to chat about Peggy? Absolutely. I felt real good about Peggy in this episode. Me too. She was so funny. She's got a new haircut. What's She's different? Like, She's like, pitching popsicles. <laughs> <laughs> so after the popsicles, I just wanted... I- I wanted a revel, <laughs> like the can- the candy-coated the ice cream. I just wanted ice cream so bad after this episode, but I did not have any. It so worked. our popsicle thing is, like, um, not the ones that you break in half, but, like, the ones that come in the plastic wrapper that, like, destroy the sides oh, of Oh, like mouth. the Freezies. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mr. Freeze or Those whatever. Those are the yeah. ones that my mom always gave us. <laughs> but also, I'm from the middle of fucking nowhere, so, like, ice cream trucks, they're not, no, not a thing. <laughs> Although we did, I did sometimes get the kind where you crack them in half. And what we would do with friends is like, I want a purple. I want an orange. Great. Yes. Yeah, it's cute. Oh, that would have been a good ad too, where they're like, we're trading. If they wanted to get all up in the civil rights movement thing and really capitalize on that, it could have been like a black kid and a white kid. And we're like, we're trading. <laughs> it wouldn't be horrible at all. <laughs> And that's that's an interesting point, the idea of like of of trading. It's like it's still like the episode easily could have have taken that that pitch up and been the same because where they arrive to the campaign is they're talking about Sal and, and Peggy are making a comment how the breaking of the popsicle and the shared treat, which if I'm remembering, I don't know how um, apocryphal the story is, but popsicles became popular because you, it was basically two for one because you could break it as like a depression era treat. Oh. Um, allegedly, is, is the story that I've read or was explained to me because you could buy it one and then give both yeah. your kids a, a treat. Um, mm-hmm. But they're talking about how it's it's a ritual. It's like um, the, the Christian sacrament of, of communion and, and all of that. And Piggy and Sal having Catholic backgrounds, QN on that kind of shared background. And Ken's from Vermont and is like the waspiest kind of Vermontian that I think you, know, you could ever Oh, he, they had to make their own ice cream. Such oh, that made pain. me laugh. Such a pain. <laughs> Ken, this might have been my. <laughs> but this is also prob- possibly my favorite Ken Cosgrove of the two I seasons so him. far. <laughs> He was so terrible in the pilot. Really (laughs) loved it. It's kind of problematic. And he was weirdly like a good ally throughout this episode I found to Peggy. (laughs) Because uh, there was like one moment where um, like during the presentation and it was a really good presentation from Peggy and I have stuff to say about that. But when they're immediately like, where's Don? He's like, this is Peggy. She's great. Don is totally signed off on this. You're going to get like our best. We're not just like and he throwing makes in the it per- sound like substitute. Peggy's covering for Don. Yeah. He says like, like he when kinda... he crawls out from under the weather. Okay. So while we don't have Don, we have Peggy who's doing all the Don things. 
yeah, this is the person that we trust and we believe in the pitch you're about to hear, which was great. Um, also, later on, uh, there's a mo when they're all like, you, you got an office. Why don't you just fucking wear Don's pants now? And I have uh, I'm the head of a department. I don't have an office. And <laughs> Ken's just like, get a new couch. Bye. Do you know who is wearing <laughs> pants out here these days? I could probably say this. Betty is out here in her pants instead of her every day. dumb housewife dresses. And I love it. She I totally noticed so that too. She looks so, so good. good. These so good. boys would die if Peggy walked into this <laughs> office in a pantsuit. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> Possibly also if she came in in like neat thigh high riding boots as well, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> With the riding cop and everything. Anyways, okay. I feel like Ken would love that. <laughs> I would love for him to love that. <laughs> Um, but when, I don't even remember. So, oh, uh, I think it's, um, oh, who's the one with the beard and the civil rights? Kinsey. Kinsey. <laughs> um, he says, what the hell is this? And she goes, my new office. <laughs> <laughs> What's it look like? I just, oh, the best. It's so good. Um, it was a good moment. Like everything about this office is amazing. Like. Getting to hear Pete be like, you should get pictures of your family or people. Just any 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 people. Stock photos. Doesn't matter. And she's just like, no, I'm going to put up my accomplishment. I just, even that is just like, like silliness, which I was talking about in contrast with Greg. Like just, that's just, a, that's a silly conversation. And like, I'm thankful for it. I wish it didn't have to be like doing a lot of work to like balance some like other shitty shit. But mm-hmm. I thought her line, I'm sleeping with Don, it's really working out, was the funniest <laughs> line in the whole episode. I just, she I, is, yeah. I'm not telling them that I asked for this, because then they'll realize that they can ask for things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's funny because it was great. Harry asked to be the head of the TV department, and he got it. So he already knows that this tactic works, but he never thought, oh, maybe I should ask for more things? Yeah. Like an office? Like... I love I love that she was she felt confident enough to make that joke and like recognize that people know that she actually does deserve this and not just start like joking about it and not think oh she's just covering up for the fact that she really is sleeping with Don. Mm -hmm. And as infuriating as Roger's response of like you young women are so aggressive now it's really cute even though she apologized for for that for I being mean, appropriate whatever. So annoying but it's true when he's like, there are 30 guys here who don't have the balls to ask me for an office. And you just did. It's great. It's cool. great. You absolutely love to see it. And honestly, like that line from Roger doesn't even phase me anymore because he's just the worst trash. There's no. Yeah. And like he still fucking gave her the office without like fighting. He's just like, I got to go. You're, you you want to ask me for something? Okay. Roger got majorly dunked on all episode and it was amazing. So <laughs> he wants to say this dumb shit fine. <laughs> yeah, whatever. He can give the office. He doesn't, he's clearly not as invested in this company as everyone else is. So, but we could talk about well, that. And he's later. like, a, he's like a joke partner. Mm hmm. Like, oh God, yeah. Bert's like, I have to do this because I have to take care of Roger, like insinuating that as an old white haired man, he can't take care, can't take care of himself in business and like, just let him die in the arms of a 20 year old. They have written him off as a human. I love that. <laughs> like, they're done. It's amazing. 
I have this as my bit and bat, but I'll just say it now since we're talking about Roger. I, I, I'm taking this to be Bert's sister. Yes. Uh, who has, so. like, yeah. a partnership in the company. Um, yeah. She says, like, oh, you have to, you know, you have to take care of your children. And yeah. Roger's like, oh, I only have the one. And she's just like, really? Really. <laughs> like, oh, it really? wasn't even a question. She's like, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> cool. So funny. <laughs> It was good. So good. I think just to like jump back to the, the, the pitch for a moment with the, the, the popsicles, which I don't know, maybe I need to get one now. So advertising works, <laughs> right? Liz advertising works. Um, but like that idea of ritual and it's not religion, it's behavior. Um, I there's, there's definitely power in that in the case of like the pitch and like, you know, the demonstrations of love and sharing and, and gifts, which I think will come up again when we we move to talking about betty but like that same ritualistic behavior exists in the pitch Mm -hmm. and like the when we've seen now peggy do it we've seen don do it before and like there's kind of a liturgy and a flow to it like a kind of religious ritual which i think is is interesting and then the payoff you get from that and that idea of you know religion being a community and people and kind of shared experience. I think there's, there's something to kind of probably watch there. And then I think to that comment of the, I'm sleeping with Don joke, but I think she makes that when, with Peter comes to see her in her office later in, in the episode. And I mean, we can probably touch on the Pete stuff more like in, in bits and bobs. Cause it just, I mean, I think it's it's worth mentioning, but like the question I have for the the three of you is Peter, do we think that Peter's going to confide in, in Peggy when he, he goes to have that, that conversation? Yes. He's sharing the news about Clarisel, but is there like a therapeutic potentially element to him in in going and talking to Peggy? Does he want to, you know, confide in her about the, the real reason? And then they also have this shared experience in their, their knowledge of of Don. So why do we think Peter went to to Peggy in that moment when Peggy dropped the really good joke? I totally agree that Pete is just still looking for someone to be honest and open with. Um, I'm just this huge complaint, and I have this about Don too, where I'm like these men who are looking for someone to connect with and share this part of them and their concerns and the part that makes them all soft and squishy, and ignoring the fact that they have a whole human wife. <laughs> that they could do this with and should do this with and instead are terrible to and are just trying to find it. But in other women, it's very annoying and I'm very mad at Pete. I'm kind of charmed by like how much Pete just really wants Peggy's attention. And I don't know (laughs) why. (laughs) Oh no. Oh no. I know it's really bad been inside my house for too long and it's it's interesting though and i don't know will it continue to watch and see where it goes and like how's how it manifests by like contrasting it back to like the twisting scene when the all office goes out for post-work drinks in season one i don't remember what episode it is and like pete's watching her and like there's an element of like perceived possessiveness and i'm Mm -hmm. not feeling that same entitlement from pete that maybe he had with Peggy anymore. And I don't quite know what that's about yet, but it definitely feels like the show is showing us that pattern 
but it's like a different flavor now. I don't know, Francis, what do you think? Um, it does seem like the vibe, the relationship vibe between Pete and Peggy has, has shifted. And I feel like in this scene anyways, Pete is a little more infatuated with Peggy in terms of how she's gotten to be where she is instead of wanting to just be rude and mean to her. So with Peggy being a copywriter who has her own office right next to Don, is it between her between Don's and Pete's office? Am I remembering that correctly? That geography sounds right. There might be another office in between, but more or less she's right between. Basically, them, yeah. she's like kind of on the same level now. So yep. in a way, you think it's like him seeing her as more of an equal to approach. Is or is he starting to like defer to her the way that he tries to like get John's attention and affection and approval? Ah, that, like interesting, that. interesting. Because I I think this was possibly one of the like most best versions of Don Peggy has been in this uh, been in the show. Because like before we've seen her try to be one of the boys, and sometimes she's like quote unquote aggressively masculine. And in her presentation, it's a very Don delivery. It was very good. Mm-hmm. I thought it was very moving and confident, but in a way that wasn't like in your face, the same way Don like tends to have that balance really, you know, of of telling people what they want to hear and what they should hear. But I thought it was like her playing more to her own strength as a woman. She's a very soft-spoken young woman. Um, and it's not like too maternal or too like squishy, but it was... It was confident, you know, even though they're like, oh, this, mm-hmm. this, the position of the, the, the mom, it reminds me of something. She's like, no, this is original. That's all she has to say. No one like fights yeah. back or anything. Yeah. So this is, we've talked about, you know, Don's men sort of accidental mentorship of Peggy. Do you think that this is like Pete responding to that? Now that Don's gone. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't. I don't know if I have a, a concrete yes or no answer, but it's definitely something I'm going to be be watching for now. And like, it's interesting too to me that like in that scene, they both have like insights into who Don is. Like, obviously, Pete found the box from Adam, so he knows that like Don probably isn't Don, and you know runs away, and that's why he didn't file a police report when. Don went AWOL in in Los Angeles but like Peggy also worked for Don she you know in earlier this season helped bail him him out when you know they got in the accident with with Bobby and and were in jail out out of town there so like they both have insights into who Don is that the rest of the characters don't have that Betty doesn't even have as as Don's wife so like Peter and Peggy together almost have the same perspective of Don that we do as the audience. So I think that's that's an interesting kind of piece as well. Did we want to ch- move to, to chat about Betty? In her pants? In her pants. I just think, right. I think before we go on, can I, may, if I may? Of course. <laughs> um, about Peggy is, we kind of touched about it when we started talking about her, but her the way she asks for the office and the way because this is how, like, some of one of the themes I noticed with the women in this episode. Um, well, actually, all the characters, but especially the women, was that again that theme of power. When she asks for the office, she's not exploiting anyone else to get it. She's doing mm. it on her own instead of, like, it, 
you know, she didn't kick Freddy out. She didn't, in fact, in the last last episode, episode before last, I don't remember, she was very humble and, like, kind to Freddy. Um, mm-hmm. But now she has the opportunity and she's taking it upon herself and not um, exploiting or pushing anyone out of the way to get what she wants. Mm-hmm. That's just awesome. Yeah, I agree. I Go love th- it. <laughs> yeah. Glad you brought it up. Well, and I think Francis too, picking up on that that theme that you've you've identified of like power and agency kind of throughout the episode. As we kind of move to Betty, like I, I totally agree that it kind of applies to her because over the last almost two seasons of TV, we've seen Betty stripped of that power and that agency by Dawn, by her dad, more than likely probably her mother too, and then how she treats Sally um is kind of the external manifestation of like what's going on with betty kind of internally right so i guess then we can can use that as the the segue to talk about how did we feel about betty in this episode melissa i know you said you were happy to go back to betty and would have liked more more time with her but uh yeah i mean that's it (laughs) yeah (laughs) she is Forging Don's signature. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> to pay for household expenses. I love it. Paychecks are still coming in. She is fully taking care of herself and taking care of her family in Don's absence. And I think she's definitely reached a point where she's not needing to go around in amazing house coats. Yeah. Uh, and recognizing that she has had this ability all along to take charge of things and Don is the one who's been quietly undermining her this entire time and I do kind of want to note that all those times that we've seen Helen she's been wearing pants mm-hmm. true mm-hmm. so we're just moving in a pants direction um, <laughs> hold on one moment before you go on can I just point out this is just like yet another person pretending to be Don Draper oh <laughs> literally <laughs> pretending to be Don Draper um, Unfortunately, yeah. just one remnant of something that Don has passed, or Dick Whitman has passed on to his wife. Mm-hmm. It's like oh the Borax God, box, good. where it like goes on forever. You're, you're Don Draper. You're Don Draper. Like you just, it's one of those optical oh illusions. I was gonna. I was just wanted to say that earlier today, I watched X Men First Class, which was this came out around the height of Mad Men, and January Jones played Emma Frost, and everyone went, "Oh, it's so perfect because she's such a cold person." People don't and understand her. They really don't. And I was just watching her no. the whole time, going like, in general, the whole movie completely misuses all their female characters and actors but just january jones the whole time so misused she's so good she is like shout out her instagram yeah no her instagram's great she's wild (laughs) living her living her best quarantine life Mm -hmm. yeah everybody's best life has an asterisk right now Mm. right um francis in the show notes you have a really interesting point that i'm excited to hear hear more about it kind of creates that that through line about gifting and and ritual and and the popsicles so can you tell us more about that uh sure so um i mean the the episode opens with betty uh, yeah with betty and sally and (laughs) you're mean you betcha which was which was also a great line Um, big big mom energy I know. I was like, this is like, or or um, put away your trucks. I'm not your. I'm not your maid. I was like, oh, yeah. I have, I have heard my mom say something. She might things. as well have said, "I'll give you something to cry about." <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
but so um so we see that scene where betty puts her daughter in a closet to punish her not not great mom vibes but i'm not a parent so i can't speak to that um, did you guys ever get put in the corner only in school okay, <laughs> okay betty okay, back to betty so she yeah so she, <laughs> we see her put sally in the closet and then the next blam yep and then they have a they have a conversation and then we go to the scene of Peggy and Ken and Sal discussing the popsicles. And one of the lines that Peggy says is um, when she's referring to the popsicles being split and distributed, she says it's a mother's gift. And so that really contrasts what Betty just did by putting Sally in a closet, which is not a mother's gift. It's like the opposite. Um, but then it comes full circle circle later on um, when Betty does does give Sally a gift, both in giving her the, the riding boots, but I think more importantly, opening up and being honest with Sally about what's going on between her and Don. Mm-hmm. So we mm-hmm. see Sally literally getting shut out and put in the dark because <laughs> she does not turn the closet light on. Um, so Sally's getting put in the dark about what's happening. And then Betty for whatever probably because of the discussion she and her daughter had um then later decides to open up and give her the gift of honesty and the riding boots and I think that just really um that really stood out to me for how like insight into Betty because I think like we were saying earlier she kind of gets a bad rap Mm -hmm. but she is a very I think she's one of the most complicated characters on Mad Men she probably also shows some of the most growth, too, mm-hmm. um, talking about her complexity as a character. I love that moment that she does. I love that they show that part of her that she still acts out in anger and gives her the shitty mom gift. And <laughs> immediately, five seconds later, you know, when Sally says, he left you because you're mean and you're stupid. And, you know, it's it's so unfair to the person who stays behind versus the person who leaves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know talking of communion for anyone who's not familiar with it it's you know literally or at least from the catholic perspective it's literally jesus giving a part of his body a part of himself and that anger Mm. and that horrible punitive action is something that betty is unfortunately giving to her daughter from her own childhood but learning from her relationship with don who was constant you know keeping things hidden and secret and lies and all that stuff i mean if anybody's stupid and mean (laughs) <laughs> it's Don. It's Don. So unfortunate. So instead of giving the kind of gift that Don loves to give, which is turning a person into someone uh, broken down and thinking that they need him, this is Betty giving a better gift of mm-hmm. you can trust yourself. I because I respect and trust you with this incredibly important thing, and it's not like weirdly inappropriate or too much for a kid like she did with Glenn. This yeah. is. <laughs> This is her going, I see you for the eight-year-old that you are. I will give you what's appropriate for you, and you will trust yourself, hopefully. Mm-hmm. I love it, is what I'm saying. Yeah, it was really it was really one of the stronger points of the season, I think. Mm-hmm. It's just really lovely to see her be a competent parent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sorry, Don. We don't need but you. Turns out we're fine. 
Well, and we could talk about this later too, but with Don and you see how he is with Anna and how Anna really doesn't need him and he's totally fine with it. But with, with Betty and also with the other women he was with, they were women who don't really need him, but he sort of had to find a way to make them need him somehow and make them desperate for him. And yeah. Well, that, that goes back to his own insecurity, right? And then how he can then feel powerful and needed. And yet the thing with Don is like in creating that, that environment, he also then feels trapped by it too. And that's like, you know, he wants to be needed, but then he doesn't want to be needed. Like that's his whole, yeah, that's his whole deal, right? I don't understand talking about all of these things that Don is just now. In contrast to who Don is when he's being Dick Whitman with Anna, I'm like, how, mm-hmm. how, I, yeah, how are you this person when you have such a badass lady like in your corner, unconditionally supporting you, even though you've done arguably the worst thing to her? <laughs> and I just, how, how do you see? I, how Don? How? <laughs> just a lot of questions about Don. I don't understand you. That's it. Yeah. I don't know what else. (laughs) He has this whole thing about protecting Betty and how like delicate and vulnerable she is. But as we can see, she is fully capable of honesty and being a strong person. Like, I think she would revel in being able to be there for Don when he needed someone strong to hold him up. Like, I think that would if she can be that person for him some of the time instead of always one direction, I think that would be huge for the both of them and she wouldn't feel so frustrated and in, and like impotent in her own marriage mm-hmm. well and I, I think too we're talking like we're talking about kind of the, the complexity with with betty and i mean i'm going to throw it at francis here just because you have some some great stuff in the the notes about the the phone call and things with with sarah beth like the writing partner um but like don tries to create the the certain environment that he wants or he perceives that he wants and it's it's i don't know if i well i know francis has read it because it was her copy of the novel that i that i read but it, it feels like very much like american pastoral by philip roth and there's the whole idea in, in that novel and there's this whole motif about glove making and and the the time and effort it takes to make like the perfectly fit pair of gloves but the whole other I, one of the other themes in that episode is that the more you try and create your life like that like the tighter you squeeze to quote now princess leia from star wars we're just hitting all the mat high the all the all the mat top threes um the tighter you grip the more star system slip slip through your fingers it's like that whole idea and so i think that's kind of what's happening with dawn but like we're seeing this growth of betty but at the same time she's doing that a bit too and like kind of like we were talking about it before when she no shows and then takes the phone off the lunch when she sends not james spade or arthur to lunch with sarah beth that's that's still being a bit manipulative too right and i guess to your your point francis about it's kind of like she's using power like you think that's her using her her agency and testing it out like what do you what do you think that's about for betty yeah so there's the scene where Betty is chatting with her. What's her name? Sarah Beth? Yeah. Okay. When Betty's chatting with Sarah Beth on the phone. um, And and I feel like she, 
uses the guise of talking about Sally and where to send Sally to school as kind of like a, just as a intro, like a, not an intro, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, whatever. It's not the important part. She just wants to get talking to Sarah Beth. So, cause then right away she talks about, they talk about, um, oh man, I'm so bad with names. Arthur. Arthur. Thank you. <laughs> so she talks <laughs> about Arthur and, um, Sarah Beth confesses how she feels horrible because she did more than just have lunch with him and she slept with him and she can't look at her daughter or her husband. Um, and then we see here, Betty is, had used her, her power to influence and manipulate her friend. Um, and then can step away because she knows Betty's smart. She knows what she's capable of. So she steps away just before anything could like, not criminalize. That's too strong. Uh, she can be seen as the bad person. Um, because as Sarah Beth is saying like, Oh, Betty, like you were, you were in it too. You wanted him, blah, blah, blah. And then she said, well, I like, there's a difference between wanting and doing, and I didn't make you do anything. And I think that just really illustrates, um, how Betty's using her power. She kind of does this with Sally sometimes too. Um, but how Betty's using her power to manipulate and make herself feel better because we know that Betty actually is quite a sad person and, um, she's struggling with lots of things. So Mm -hmm. uh, it's just interesting to see how she uses the power and the, her ability to manipulate people to make herself maybe feel better um, by be, by taking the moral high ground of not having slept with Arthur. Mm -hmm. Even though the situation was there, totally still said no. Yeah. I think this is probably what, the part of Betty that people tend to remember more of, which is super unfair. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and then it made me think, so I recently binge watched all of Zoe's extraordinary playlists, which uh, ended up being far more charming, delightful than I expected it to be. And there's one character named Mo uh, who's trying to put some sense into Zoe's head. And she says this line that has stuck with me and comes up a lot now when I watch or read basically anything now uh, and is, Essentially, the entire theme of Mad Men, all seven seasons of it, it's hurt people, hurt people. I went, mm, mm-hmm. that's, that's everything, basically. Yeah. And it's, it's both externally and, like, internally. And it's, like, that hamster wheel where, like, you, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Betty is mm. such a major example of that in the show. Because it's Don passing on his own trauma to his kids and onto his wife. And it just spreads out in this awful, like, you know, the way, you know, when you drop your phone and it starts to shatter and it just feathers <laughs> out slowly over time and you keep trying to ignore it. And it's just going to crumble any second now. Well, that example is too, too real. real. I was disinfecting my phone three months ago and I dropped it from standing up and now it's 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 cracked and I, I don't want to go to the mall to like get it fixed because I don't want to get coronavirus. Just, <laughs> just throw more tape on it. It's fine. <laughs> I think too, like um, how you were saying that the, the petty, petty Betty. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. I had to really think about Candle that. Lamp. Petty Betty is the Betty that people tend to remember. And um, we know that she's probably 
manipulating those around her because she's not happy anymore. And I thought that was really interesting how when we saw the scene of Don talking to Anna, saying like one of the reasons why he wanted to marry Betty was because she is happy. She well, doesn't seem happy anymore. He wants some of that happiness. He's so very bad at being happy. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that Betty's not happy anymore, Donald? <laughs> like you are literally just out here thinking like you can suck the life force out of a woman and that and then be like, why are you? Why? Where is your life force? Where did? How did this happen? Like, ugh. just another man tearing out a woman who doesn't really need him to be happy. Greg. Like she was like she was happy because Peter. she was sustaining herself and you were not drawing on her energy. Like and now you are out here cheating on her and refusing to apologize and gaslighting her into thinking like, oh, did this really happen? Am I crazy? Like, I mean, that didn't happen because she never bought into that bullshit, but he tried it. And now he's like, oh, she was so happy. Like, yeah, duh, because you are doing nothing to support her happiness and she's doing everything in the world for everyone in this stupid house. Well, if she's already happy, then how can he be the one making her happy without tearing her down first? Like, can't you just be happy with keeping her happy? Like, you could have done the bare minimum of, like, not bad things. <laughs> like, come on, man. Well, totally. But, like, I think that's where his own kind of, like, emotional, like, immaturity and his own, like, mm-hmm. hang-ups come into play because he thinks, I honestly believe that Don slash Dick, and I think we're just going to call him Don because that's, like, easier, but, like, this is the first time we've seen kind of not in flashback this other, this the Dick Whitman side of him. But mm-hmm. like, I think he honestly believes that he is providing for Betty and is providing for his children, or at least was. Now he's not so sure because he tells Anna that like he's, he's fucked up everything. Like, you know, and it's, it's beyond repair and whatever. But I think that's what he thinks he's doing. And that's part of like the tragedy. Cause again, that goes to like what, when Bobby had him, Bobby um, Barrett had a mail done earlier in the season. It's like, I like to be bad and then go home and pretend I'm good or, or whatever she says. Like until like three episodes, episodes ago, he thought that that was enough. And that's only because he got caught. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess I think maybe this is a good time. We can transition to the, the Don stuff and that idea of that flashback of, of Don telling Anna about how excited he was to, to uh, meet Betty and get engaged and, um, this was obviously before um, de-aging technology was like These more commonplace. These were really hard for me to follow the first time. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. his skin looks a little better, but yeah. Like who? Where? I it was very confusing. Yeah, I think um, especially John Hamm does a very good job of sort of like differentiating um, past Dawn and present Dawn with his acting, but. And I think John Hamm has also had this problem where the fact that he's looked 40 for, like, most of his life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, we, I've seen pictures of him in high school. And I know he had a problem getting cast when he was in his early 20s because he looked so much older. But at the same time, dude. He could have been on Riverdale. Make this a little hard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, he still could probably play a teenager in Riverdale the way they cast sometimes. <laughs> no kidding. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was easier the second time. It was the first time I was like, wait, who? Yeah. How do you guys feel about Anne in general? Because this is like, I think this is like the first time we really get time with her, right? Oh, I yeah. really love her. She just genuinely 
thinks that Don is a good person. And that is heartening and also sad. And I'm annoyed a little bit about myself because when they were having the conversation where Don was saying, like, oh, I think I fucked it all up. I'm like, we, y'all could really get to something productive here if she would have just been like, what happened? Mm. What have you done to try to make it better? But then, on the other hand, I'm like, Melissa, don't put that on her. This is a grown-ass man. Yeah. <laughs> he can figure his shit out on his own. But, like, I just know that if he would have told her what happened, Anna would have been like, maybe you should, I don't know, revolutionary Not- idea. Say I'm sorry? <laughs> You can even lie? Like, I. There's something very sweet about the fact that she has no expectations of Don. She does not need Don, even though he's constantly promising to take care of her or to, like, have her to Christmas as his cousin. Or there's. It seems like she almost finds him, like, oh. Pat on the head. Yeah. Aren't you? Little bro- almost like a little brother. But Cute she never boy. tries to fix him. And right. she never, there's no chance of anything romantic there, which I think takes a lot of load off, uh, a lot mm-hmm. of the weight off both of them. I was and, and I very that- relieved when it became clear that they had <laughs> not had a romantic or sexual relationship. <laughs> I think the lack of expectation of, of, of Don Dick from Anna on himself is probably what allows him to control his environment less and have less walls like like i agree that don totally like builds them for himself and again to like use ross imagery from um american pastoral he tries to like create that and and feels those expectations and then intensifies them to disastrous results and you know the opposite of what what he's trying to create or or what he wants but i think him knowing that Anna doesn't have expectations of him, that there's no, you know, sexual interest there on on either side. Like it, he probably seems he seems to find it freeing. Cause again, I even find in Ham's performance when he's he's there and kind of rela- relaxed and having those conversations, um it definitely feels more, I guess, unbuttoned than we've we've seen on kind of to to a point like even in contrast to like some of the other other flashbacks and things like that um although i i do think it is still worth mentioning he does still have some walls because he still he brings up adam um and his whole guilt there about how he he rejected adam and sent him away and ultimately feels responsible for you know adam's adam's death to a certain degree by by rejecting him and anna who ostensibly is the only person who knows who Dick John Draper, Dick Whitman actually is knows his deepest darkest secrets and in all in all details, and he feels that way. Didn't even know he had a brother, and then he also then talks about how he's told Anna things he hasn't even told Betty. So even then, with this person he can be himself the most with, he's still guarded and isn't, you know, giving the whole truth and mm-hmm. and engaging with the past that he's running from, which I thought was interesting. Uh-huh. She definitely, he definitely keeps stuff from her, and I don't. But she doesn't expect it or want it from her. Unlike Betty, who definitely knows that there's more that's being kept from her and wants it, and is extraordinarily frustrated by it. Anna's but like his secret BFF. Yeah, and I think that's the difference between like a friendship and like a partnership. When it comes to, like, living together and raising children, etc. Um, it's... And Anna, like, 
I'm 100% with Anna when she's like, I'm sure there's things that Betty hasn't told you. Like, you don't have to tell Betty everything. And, like, that is definitely true. But there are some things that he should tell her. <laughs> like, the things yeah. that are directly affecting their relationship. Mm-hmm. How do you think things would have been different if, like, if she did take him up on that offer to come every Christmas as his cousin? Like, Betty getting to meet someone who's, quote, unquote, Don's family. Well, I like, yeah. Anna's well, just I such like... a smooth presence. Like, I feel like things mm-hmm. would have gone better if they both I agree. Anna as a resource. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Matt, I interrupted you. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I totally agree. And it's just, I wonder, because... Don seems so, or young Dick, I guess, seems so keen on that as a fix. And Anna's kind of like, oh, well, you need to live your life. Like, it's very like, you know, I'm going to like keep arm's length away from that for whatever reason. And it's like, why? Like, I don't know. Just, I think it would have been better if that had happened. Better but like, for I'm Don, curious as to why it didn't. Though, yeah, like, I guess. No, it for it fair enough. Fair enough. Um, fair enough. And like, she does make that. She does make that comment going, there's going to be another Mrs. Draper. Mm-hmm. I just think that, you know, we don't get enough of Anna's in, internal right. thoughts and feelings on this whole situation. Um, and, like, going back to, you know, it's fine for people to have secrets. So maybe Anna, full of grace, doesn't have that much to give Don. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She seems fairly happy to be independent and on her own because when they talk about who's ever pants that she's Don's wearing and, <laughs> or borrowing, she does say, you know, I kicked him out, even though old ladies shouldn't be picky. To which I say, good for you, Anna. She's got her own house. Yeah, I loved that. I yeah. kicked him out. <laughs> <laughs> but for some reason, still has his Kept clothes. His pants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, what kind of situation happened where she kicked him out and he left his pants? It must not have been great. Uh, I found the building on the pants situation. I found, well, we've talked about pants a lot. Um, I found it really interesting that, so Don goes to her house and um, he, like, you as an audience, you immediately see that he is, the most vulnerable he's ever been by just asking to take a shower and have a nap. Um, because he don't, you don't really see him rest, uh, in the presence of other people. But, but what I found more interesting was that, um, Don slash Dick is wearing this other random's clothes and then through by taking off his Don outfit, we'll say, and putting on this random's outfit He's able to be his true self. Oh, that sounds cheesy, but he's, I guess, able to be Dick once he has shed his Don suit and put on random Randall's clothing. Um, and I, I even, like, when he says, I keep scratching to get into my own life, but I can't get in, I found really interesting because there's kind of that uh, motif of putting on and taking off clothing or personalities or like certain traits it's like he doesn't know who he is or who he wants to be and totally yeah that's where the internal tension comes from which Mm -hmm. has and then in in not wanting to show that vulnerability or weakness that's that's kind of his whole like if you think of like 
all of Don's bad behavior and his issues is like a string of ping pong balls where like one follows each of the other one and like you, you go down the string to see where it kind of all starts. Mm-hmm. It's that uncomfortableness in his own skin that is kind of that the start of his brokenness i guess you could can almost say which again i don't think excuses any of that behavior and i and i don't mean for it to sound that way but like it's you know i guess the the, the start of it all and, and the different kind of like contrast um how do we feel about the the whole like tarot reading scene and the idea of resurrection and forgiveness and don's fearful of the end times he ran after you know the the nuclear war um presentation at the at the conference that's what kind of pushed him to go with the the boat with to follow joy to follow his joy mm-hmm. um, and and things like that and we know he's been re- he he read meditations in an emergency earlier in the year and it was actually anna who he sent it to at the start of the season we we get the payoff for that that moment today so he's scared of judgment day and anna's like well no it's resurrection it's forgiveness it's a, it's a new beginning how how did that scene land for for us so we'll start with you, Francis, to put you on oh. the spot. <laughs> um, you have some good stuff in the, the, the notes about grace later on. So oh, okay. That's why I That's why you're... Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I just found, like, the... the I just found the tarot cards as, like, a vehicle for the discussion and not necessarily... That's what I mean. Okay. So I was talking about that thing. Okay. Yeah, not the, not the cards specifically. Okay. Yeah, um, talking about when Anna... Uh, when Don was telling Anna he wants to marry Betty... Um, she says to him, you don't owe me anything, which really for Dick, this should be like his dream answer. Like, awesome. Great. Thank you. But, uh, he doesn't accept this gift of grace that Anna is offering him. Cause she does seem like a very grace giving person. Um, and like, as a viewer, I see that like, yeah, Don slash Dick does owe Anna a lot because, because of that gift of grace. But that's the thing with grace is that the receiver doesn't deserve it. Um, and that's, that's what makes grace grace is we wouldn't, um, we don't, we're not deserving of it. So, but Don instead uh, rejects that gift and has to work to give Anna what he thinks he owes her. Um, like whether it's sending her money, which we've already discussed or, uh, you know, keeping her around for Christmas, which I think he genuinely wanted to do. Um, and then later on in, part, uh, in that same conversation, Anna tells Don, the only thing that's keeping you unhappy is the belief that you are alone. And then Don says, what if you don't believe that? And she said, well, then we can change. But Don's still not willing to accept the gift, that gift and the fact that people can change and people can grow. Um, so I thought it was interesting. His uh, baptism scene was like, is it is it really a baptism scene or is it like him doing something to make himself feel better instead of actually like, here's my, you'll he- pick up that I grew up with a religious background instead of quote unquote, washing away his sins and then going and sinning no more. Or is he just, you know, saying the words to feel better? And like a ritual? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think he fundamentally misunderstands what Anna is trying to say to him, right? Like, I think he views... What? Don would never. Right? (laughs) I Like, he views, like, resurrection, renewal, forgiveness, that whole, like, newness as, like, completely dropping everything, running, and then becoming something else, Uh right? Whereas, like, as I understand it, as 
I interpret it, that's not necessarily what it's about. It's not dropping and, and running. It's it's kind of a renewal and like it's, I guess, rebirth in a sense, but like you're still, you still have that kind of like obligation and like what everything you're saying, Francis, about the idea of like grace and then giving that back. And like, there's a song from a band I really like called Stars, which is called Hold On When You Get Love and Let Go When You Give It, which... I think is kind of what I'm what I'm I'm talking about here that whole concept of like accepting and then then giving back. Don isn't capable of accepting and makes him uncomfortable so he instead of giving back he just wants to change change the channel and change the circumstances and to me I don't think that's what Anna is trying to tell him. And I think building on that when you cannot accept grace you cannot extend it to other people. Hmm. For like for instance with you know Betty and how like he can't give her grace in the argument they're having because he himself isn't capable of accepting it. Hmm. It's like church 101 right here. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, I mean that's the whole thing with like confession and absolution and all that stuff. You can do all the ritual and you can say all the right words and have all your past wa- all your past sins washed away but it's how you move on from that moment that is going to determine whether that is actually going to mean anything in the end mm-hmm. well and peggy even says earlier in the episode that like from her perspective the catholic church is really good about selling things when she's like getting rid of the pitch and, and selling the ritual mm-hmm. and i think that that's at least for me as someone constantly going through the only the entire process of his own like you know faith deconstruction um is the idea of like it's exactly what you what you're saying Annie the difference between the ritual and focusing kind of on the self and then just on that or like the community and then to your point Francis your point Francis idea of then like being able to accept to like give it out whether it's within the confines of a, a religious ideology or not it's about the relationship between and your obligation to now here's where my politics come into <laughs> the idea of the community and the collectivization of being part of a collective that works individuals and in a collective that works for some kind of of betterment and not this whole um Bert Cooper like Randian objectivist idea of the individual and kind of being this anointed super uber uber mint right but i'm getting off topic now <laughs> melissa we haven't really like you so we asked you last episode who don was calling and said it was dick did you feel satisfied by the payoff and introduction of i guess reintroduction of anna because we saw her in that her in that one um yeah i really did and i was thrilled because as far as right and incorrect about my guess i was right because it was someone from his past that he had a significant experience with. Wait, was that a no- another moment where you guessed something and we did not answer for like 12 well, minutes? Yeah, because I was like, who do you guys think that he's calling? And then it was just like, cricket. Someone. Matt had to be like, who do you think he's calling? And I said, I thought it was going to be like a war buddy. And it's not that, but it's not. Not, not, that. not that. It's not his mom, so I win there. But it, in some okay. ways, but I mean, do not. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit of one. <laughs> but like, and I think to that too, where we 
and I and we were kind of touched on this earlier with the uh, um, Peter, who we'll probably talk about a little bit more in bits and bobs, but going to to Peggy looking f- to confess, I guess, to, to, you know, I don't know if he's looking for absolution, but he's looking for a confession um, to Peggy earlier with kind of his stuff that's going on with Clarissa. Um, we have Don only being a more authentic version of himself in relation to another, like uh, to a woman character. And like, I think the closest we've seen to him do it with, with another male character was in six month leave. I think that's what it's called. A couple episodes ago, the, the one where Freddie um, gets let go and they, they go out on the town and he has that moment with Roger that we think is the closest thing to a genuine moment. And we find out that Roger is the worst and like, isn't listening and looks at his Don giving him advice to, you know, run out to uh, leave Mona and, and Mary Jane. Um, Mary Jane. Mm-hmm. Anyways, mm-hmm. are how do we feel about that whole trope where we've only so far seen our our male characters look for confession, absolution, forgiveness in female characters? I was going to say really quickly. That's one thing that stood out to me upon second viewing of this. Actually, um, was that Anna seemed. I think she's a fascinating and lovely, lovely character. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it seemed to me in this. So that like that she was like the epitome of being that female character that can carry the emotional weight that Don is looking to divest into someone else or onto someone else. And I wonder if like because she's never been they've never had a romantic or sexual relationship, but that is there's that kind of older sister slash maternal relationship. Is that why he can do it? And then it makes me wonder was this character created by uh, Matthew Weiner to do this? And what does that say about how the show views females in and of itself? Yeah. Like, do they exist to hold up a male character? Yeah. Because it's really hard to talk about any of these female characters without the con- them being in context of the men they have to deal with, isn't mm-hmm. it? And I... Uh, I had a similar worry about Anna being that kind of trope because like they're very subtle about it, I think. But, you know, it's not a secret that when she walks, she has like a less typical gait. Um, And I think she makes a comment about how the original Dawn, Dawn 1.0, wanted to marry (laughs) her sister, but she looked like her, but with two good legs, something like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's hard based on this episode alone to wonder if she just like, if she's in danger of falling to a trope of being like the good cripple who, you know, <laughs> is so strong and so brave to be on her own and not needing a man, even though she walks the way she does and isn't perfect. And she deserves more than that, frankly, for Don to just come in whenever he needs someone to lean on to someone that he can be open with. Even again, like with Pete has a whole human friggin' wife at home that he could do this with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do I do worry about it. I do hope we get to see her more get more of Anna um, but I do worry that once again she's just going to be someone who exists in context of Don what about you Melissa no I agree I don't have a lot of hope I mean as much as we talk about like the character development of Peggy and Betty and Joan and now Anna like 
I don't have a lot of high hopes that any of these women are going to fully break away from the men when it comes to the purpose they're serving in this story. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not something that I'm going to expect, and if it happens, that'll be great. (laughs) Be nice if these women were the centers of their own universes. Real high note here, guys. We gotta stop putting Dawn last, because... But this happens when we put Don first, too, if we're being honest. He is the guy in the credits. I know. <laughs> well, we get this last scene of him having, like, an ocean baptism. And now he's, like, a fully newborn great person. But there's a lot of show left. And I just don't want to assume yeah. that I'm going to find Don any more interesting in the season three finale. Or the season three mm-hmm. premiere. I think I think well, it we was have like a, a two finale still. We have oh, one more Okay, fair. Yeah. Um, I mean, I still agree. With I know you, that I that's... said that like I don't like the show, and that is not true. I like the show a lot, and I'm super happy we're doing this, and we're gonna keep doing it. Like that's not what I'm saying. But I said this in the last episode, and I'll say it again. I don't care that much about about like I don't care that much about <laughs> Don Draper. I just that's fair. It's not that interesting to me. Maybe it would have been more interesting in 2008. Maybe it would have been more interesting if I had never seen TV before. I don't know. (laughs) Um, Like, I don't think he's going to come back from this experience in the ocean and be a good husband. And if not that what? (laughs) I just don't care. (laughs) So, like, a couple things. Um... I know probably, and I know I did it earlier too, but in the whole idea, like, because of my own background and biases about the, you know, baptism water cleansing overtones at the end, um, it might not be an initiation ritual in the same sense, but more of like a purification one, which I get, which I think is tied of like water being the symbolism in baptism, mm-hmm. Christianity being like, you know, kind of appropriating a lot of Judaism, um, but again, like I wonder too if it's if it's more of that kind of purification before whatever comes next. Like the idea of like you know presenting at the the temple, washing the you know the sins and and the world off of you to then go and you know be able to give your sacrifice to the to the priest and so on so on like that. Like maybe it's it's something more like that. Um, but yeah, to that whole question about dawn and the show being about dawn in 2008 it's like mad men's firmly planted in that kind of and like the golden so-called golden age of like tv and like its glorification mm-hmm. of the male anti-hero and like we've talked about this before right like you know it was kind of started with you know hbo and the sopranos and even like deadwood a bit because i think you can put um Ian McShane's character, whose name is escaping me right now, in Deadwood. What's Couldn't his name? You. Oh my God! What's his uh, name? Never made it past season episode I'm, two. His name is Ian McShane in Deadwood. <laughs> yeah, it's not Timothy. I watched Alphot. the whole show. <laughs> I like literally just watched it a couple of years ago. Aww. And if you need, oh, I watched it last year. I watched it so that I could get ready to watch the movie, and then never. Watched I think I tried the movie. to do the same thing, but. Uh... 
I just am like, at this point, if I need Timothy Oliphant in a cowboy hat. I uh, just watch that episode of The Good Place <laughs> where there isn't good cops. Al Swearingen. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. Al Swearingen. But there's that. And it's like Don Draper naming Breaking mm-hmm. Bad was was on at the same time. And so it's it's very much in that milieu. And I think that's one of the things I'm kind of yeah. overall tired of and don't need to see explored as much anymore. Um Especially when that male main character that the show is insisting is the most important and most interesting sort of feels like, uh, oh gosh, I forgot the word, sort of feels like the showrunner <laughs> in the world. I actually think the liner self-analog is um, Peter, to be honest, and we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll get there um, eventually, but that, that's my... I, it's it's all of him though but you know it's complicated um yeah did we want to move to bits and bobs sure yeah i guess just then i'll, I'll start if i may because the green was first because <laughs> um, i started the notes so there we go um and we didn't we kind of danced around it but i did want to specifically mention how much peter sucks in this episode um he again talking about male insecurity finds out that Trudy has made that appointment at the adoption agency. He says no and is really cruel to her. And I just like didn't fist pump, obviously, because of that. When Trudy's like, no, you don't get to talk to me mm-hmm. like yeah, that. Trudy I was like, rules. you're right. He doesn't. Does. Good for you. Pizza. And she says um, something like, you yeah, lost she's your mind. Not <laughs> someone who can be pushed around and certainly not someone that Pete can slowly tear down so that she needs him. Speaking of Don again. Yep. She knows what she wants. Uh, yeah, it's another moment where some guy is trying to be like the provider and is incredibly upset at his woman because he is not necessary in that way. And uh, once again, Trudy's dad, also great. Good dad. I, I love how he picked up on um, Pete saying, I, I was in love with Trudy when I met her. And then you stuck your nose and put all these ideas in her head and made her happy. One, Trudy has her own mind, doesn't need her dad to, for that. And he's like, what do you mean was? Ah, Pete sucks. Yeah, Pete, what do you mean? I was also like, oh, put the idea in her mind that her husband should be caring Ugh. and listen to her. Revolutionary. <laughs> uh but uh, I would also like to point out he he still has one of the best secretaries, Hildy, who, despite everything, and despite probably knowing better, she's still so happy for him when about you know regarding the call about the adoption agency and is trying to be like really positive and thinks it's such a blessing to you know give some poor kid who doesn't have anything else a home. And uh, Hildy, you are a gem. Please don't change. Yeah, she rules. Pete rules. Don't let Pete get mm-hmm. to you. I feel like he's starting to worm his way in there, partially oh, by know. just not being Roger. <laughs> I know. He just. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sure we'll have many episodes <laughs> to just dissect not feeling sorry. Yeah, it doesn't have to be. Well, we have five more seasons <laughs> of the show after we finish season two, so we got lots of time. <laughs> My bit and Bob we already talked about, which is that spicy, spicy takedown of Roger. <laughs> I just thought my tiny bit and Bob was, I just thought I was like, man, my piano teacher never gave me lollipops. <laughs> just, 
Just more hours of practice. She was Ugh. she was really nice though, but no lollipops. So was mine. I didn't get lollipops either. Me neither, actually. And I guess then shout out to the song of which the title of the episode comes from that the piano student was playing in the Hall of the Mountain King, which I think is from Pierre Gant, which was composed by who, Francis? I think I don't it's remember. I think it's Edvard it Gr- Edvard Grieg. That sounds right. That sounds right. And if we're wrong, please email us at at stillgreatbob at gmail.com. Speaking of emails, thank you to our listener. We have another listener email. The subject line is, thanks for the podcast. I was so happy to find your podcast. I recently started my first rewatch of Mad Men since it ended and was looking around to see if there are any newish Mad Men podcasts. When I watched the first time around, as it aired, one of my favorite parts was listening to all the podcasts and reading the recaps and discussion and comments after each episode. So much to talk about. I'm enjoying your podcast so much, and the rewatch too. Feels good when you find out your favorite show ever is still your favorite show ever. I love that the podcast has a current day perspective. So much has changed even since the show first aired. My husband is watching with me for the first time, and he's only seen the final season. I can barely contain myself when we get to amazing episodes like The Suitcase in Season 4 or Shut the Door and Have a Seat in Season 3. Thanks again, Shannon in Sydney, Australia. Well, Shannon, thank you for listening so so much much. and for your email. What fun! That was so awesome. Thank you. And Francis can attest when I checked the email and got it, I was like on cloud nine for like probably about like two hours after. So yeah, we, thank you very much, Shen. He was on a, we have, we live in a townhouse, right? And he was on a different floor and he came running upstairs. He's like, we got an email. And I was like, oh my God, an email from who? Like what's happening? So thank you so much, Shannon, for your, for your yeah. email. And thanks for listening more importantly. If you too would like to make Matt run up some stairs and yell about an email. Again. I mean, it's the only exercise Again, I get these days. Stillgreatpod.gmail.com. You can also reach us on still on Twitter and on Instagram at stillgreatpod. Uh, or if you don't like talking to people, which is now is a really great time for you these days, uh, <laughs> please uh, feel free to rate and review us on whatever podcasting system that you are a fan of. Anything else? Thanks for having me. Hey, thank you well, for your time. It's been great. Please come on anytime you feel like it. Yeah. Like for real, for real. (laughs) Of course. Also, a special thank you to the amazing and awesome and talented DJ Empirical uh, who created our theme and we adore him and his talent. Yeah. It's a banger. So, Francis, if people wanted to find more of you on the internet, where can they do that? (gasps) Well... Uh, I guess they, if people wanted to follow me, best follow me on Instagram. Uh, my handle is FDS Campbell. Um, but you should all follow my dog instead, which is Dr. Underscore Ellie Aww. Underscore Sattler. Doctor with a G. <laughs> I'm giving her a shameless plug. Melissa, what about you? You can find me on Twitter at Mellow Yellow, which is M-E-L-L-O-O-Yellow. And you can find me as the co-host of the Wild Pretty Things podcast, where we will be having um, a movie review of the new Elizabeth Moss vehicle, Shirley, coming Mm. soon. Annie, where can we find more of you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram, not updating, at Pop Artery, P-A-O-P-A-R-T-E-R-Y. And you can also listen to my other podcast, The Daily Nightly, with a K, uh, where we talk and read about Jane Austen. 
Perfect. And you can follow, find more of me on Twitter at MattyHugh, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Francis, so much for joining us. We'll see you in five minutes. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, I guess we'll see the rest of you next time, listeners guys. next time. Bye. Bye. Later days. I was a little angel child. I should not get put in the corner, but I had friends and siblings who did. <laughs> <laughs>